Hi, everybody. This is Peter Diamandis here for our next episode of Exponential Wisdom, here with my coach, my dear friend and partner, Dan Sullivan. Dan, I think the industry that is ready for disruption and it's being slammed around by this pandemic more than any other, other than, I guess, retail and travel and hotels mm -hmm. and stuff, but education. And as the father of two nine-year-olds, I'm smack in the middle of this. And, you know, it's like the school and the classroom and the traditional sage on the stage is about to, I think, be a thing of the horse and buggy and the buggy whip. Yeah, I think it's about to change big time. Yeah, and I have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs who have school-aged children. So I've been listening with great interest to their reports from the front because they've taken on the responsibility for education during the last five months. I'll just give you a story from the Orange County area, just south of you in L.A., and he just decided that he wants to stay in Orange County, but his children will never go back to a normal school after this. And one thing that just to kick off the conversation here, he says, you know, there's an enormous resource in the educational system. It's called teachers. And he says, so what we've done is that we've hired out-of-work teachers to actually design the educational system for our family and five other families, and they're going to put the curriculum together and they'll have classrooms and they'll have structure and they know the standards that are necessary for testing, you know, if they're going on to college and everything like that. And he says, we just won't put up with the system anymore. Yeah, I think there is a in-between homeschooling and school schooling and these micro classrooms, you know, and I'm in the midst of the same conversations right now between our boys and a few friends actually around my Kovacs company because my co-founders have kids of similar age. And I can imagine a situation where, you know, you get into a group of five families and one family has them on Monday, another family has them on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and you have a group of, you know, you don't need that many teachers, especially if they're young, mm -hmm. to really give them a quality education, two or three teachers and for the price of, I mean, I'm shocked at how much private schools cost right now. <laughs> I mean, it's college tuition levels. It's like insane. And to pay that much money for a teacher to try and babysit 30 kids on Zoom is insane. Yeah, and they haven't adapted, you know, and I think that the bureaucracy is totally against it. And I don't have any insight into this because I don't really deal with bureaucracies. The one thing that I've really noticed about Zoom is that it's very, very casual. It doesn't support hierarchy. Zoom doesn't support hierarchy. It doesn't support political inferior, superior. It's kind of a democratized platform to use one of your six mm -hmm. Ds. And my sense is that the school system is very over hierarchical. As a matter of fact, you're not paying for teachers with your whatever you're paying for your education. You're paying for administrators. You're paying for landscape. You're paying for swimming pools. You're paying for all sorts of other things. And my sense is that this is probably why we were talking previously about the space race and the cost of the shuttles and then the cost of, you know, drugs and hospital care and everything else. A lot of people get on as extra passengers when you got billions <laughs> of dollars. And I think the school system, I mean, 
I went through Catholic school system for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And the Catholic school system is one of the most efficient school systems in the world. And the reason is they don't have the administration at all, you know, because it's religious. And so the pastor and the normal teachers who actually teach, they administer the school. I think it's about three times less with administrative costs than other systems. So that's just, you know, a comparison of a standard system. The Catholic school system is a pretty standard system and everything else. But the school I grew up with in Northern Ohio, they're thriving, you know, and they don't get any public money for the Catholic school system. It's all paid for by the parents and yep. and they pay for the public school system too. Catholics double duty in the United States. But let's just talk about education itself and then work backwards to how it should be organized. So what has your observation been of really taking a hand in the education of your twins so far? I mean, Where's the center of your focus? And then you call in assistance from other specialists and other resources. Where's the center of it as far as you're concerned? I think one of the things, and again, they're nine years old. So, you know, I have pretty much, as any parent would have at that age, expertise across all the domains that they're learning in. It's actually been spending more time with them. And the nice thing about COVID-19 is you've been home. I've not been on the road. I mean, I used to spend 50% of my time flying all over the planet. And now I'm with them in the morning, spending time, and it's the nooks and crannies and having them listen in to Zooms and like, Dad, what's that about? And it's like, I can explain. And it's just the conversations that occur. And they're learning and seeing experiences and having conversations that I would have never had mm-hmm. because I was you know, yeah. in school or in the domain of a child versus a child okay. hanging out in the domain of a parent. Can I talk about that just one minute here? Sure. And I was thinking back, it may be the first time in 50 years that most children know what their parents do for a living. <laughs> sure. That is true because they got to no, see no, it. I, I want to talk about that because I grew up on a farm. I knew what my dad did for a living because I was free labor. <laughs> but just talk about the conversations, the interactions that you've had with them of what you're working on, the projects you're working on, and how you think about it. Because I think this is education that we're talking about here. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of things like when the SpaceX launch was going on and I was able to talk about what that was and what I know about the rocket and Elon and the company. And, you know, I sat in that capsule and all of that stuff. And we're working on our COVID-19 vaccine for COVAX. We've had conversations around how do we price that? You know, we're producing 100 million by Q1. Who should get those doses? Who decides? What's the ethical issues? You know, you could price it at 40 bucks or 50 bucks, but should you price it at 10 bucks? You know, should you give away percentage of them? for free. So fascinating conversations around that. Fascinating mm-hmm. conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Which they would not have had at school. <laughs> Which they would not at least have had at the level of detail. Yeah. Because I am curious to know. So, I mean, there's that. It's like learning at home. And one of the things I think about is education at the higher level, like graduate, like that MBA thing. I'm not a big fan of MBAs not a big fan of people with MBAs. I'm not a big fan of MBA programs because it's like you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for all kinds of theoretical work. I think it's much better for you to go find someone and mentor under them. Mm-hmm. 
right? You know, finding a mentorship. So I have a couple of people that I bring in as strike force members every year and they're with me every place all the time and I mentor them. I even pay them versus them paying me. But if you know what you love to do as a student, finding someone who looks super successful that you enjoy and then going and mentoring, becoming an apprentice, if you would, getting coaching from them is far more valuable. You know, I've never asked any of my employees what their GPA was or what their exam scores were, or, and I don't really know where anyone went to school. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm in contact every quarter with about 500 entrepreneurs. And I was just reflecting on something as this educational topic was being discussed. And it gets discussed at every every one of the workshops in some fashion. I was saying, you know, this is the 31st year of the Strategic Coach Program. And I can never remember in those 31 years any educational topic about where my clients went to college. They never bring it up where they went to college, if they went to college. And I said, you know, this is a huge status topic in the non-entrepreneurial world. But in the non-entrepreneurial world, you know, at best, they had an indifferent relationship with the educational system. It starts young. We've identified that 13 is about the time where you can tell that someone's going to be an entrepreneur. Gino Wickman has done a lot of research on this. Mm -hmm. And it's about 13 that starts. And that they start doing things different from the other kids. They're working on projects. They're out making money or something. They're thinking of schemes for making money around 13. And they're starting to separate from the general population. So the thing that I want to talk about here is what do you know from watching your two boys about how kids just naturally self-educate anyway, especially with so many resources available now on YouTube. The conversations I'll have with one of my boys in particular just blow me away. And like, where did you learn that? And the answer is always YouTube. It's always YouTube, 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 YouTube. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, just following your passion. When I was growing up their age, if I had a particular passion, it wasn't on TV. I would have to go find a book from the library and hit or miss whether you found a book that was decent or not. It was really lucky that space became my passion because the whole Apollo program was going on. And then that that scientific documentary called Star Trek was going on. And, and those two things just perfectly educated me. But if you had a different passion, you know, it was hard to go and learn. But right now, you can search any topic and find a thousand videos and they're rated and you can find the best ones mm-hmm. and you can dump it five minutes later if it's not entertaining. And it's pretty amazing in that regard. Yeah, one of my clients, and I think you know him, Stephen Palter, he's an IVF yeah. doctor from Long Island. He's got three sons, but the youngest is 12 or 13, Sam. And Sam just came up with this method about three or four years ago. He said, I bet I can watch five YouTube videos on any topic and I know more than my teacher. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. And because the way the YouTube video can teach in animation and simulation and different points of view at different speeds and so forth, much more than any teacher speaking to you can show you. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's going on, of course, is the whole gaming world. The rate at which my kids can learn a game and become 
experts in that game is shocking. It's interesting, right? And I fault the educational system for this. It's just the way it's designed, right? When you start in school, in math or science, you begin with a perfect score. And then every time you take an exam, you get something wrong, your score goes down (laughs) and down and down. I remember once I was in seventh grade, they taught on a 4.0 scale. And I started at 4.0, but I got a B on one exam. And then it was impossible for me to get up to 4.0 again. And I was so pissed. Mm-hmm. And so I went and cut a deal with my teacher. If I got 100 on the next exam, he would erase the previous B so I could get back up to a 4.0. But it's just not normal. In the gaming world, it's just the opposite. You start with zero. And every time you get something right, your score goes up and up and up. And so why in the world don't we learn from that? Why don't we create a gamification? And so part of you know the way exponential wisdom should think about education is we have new sets of tools. Mm-hmm. We have tablets, we have YouTube, we have AI, we have VR, we have AR coming. We have all of these technologies that are going to give kids mm-hmm. the means to put them in places that no child could have ever gone to before and learn things from a point of view that no child could ever have before. It's extraordinary. So, Peter, there's just an enormous amount of money going into the old system, especially at the higher education levels, undergrad, grad, and the degree level, and just massive amounts of money. I mean, universities have billions in endowments. So where's the shift in capital? In one of our previous podcasts, we talked about the sudden you know, the demonetization in the space race with SpaceX and their reusable boosters and everything. Do you see any place where there's a sudden shift in the educational world? I mean, you're seeing it in the medical world, but you're seeing it in the educational world, a sudden shift in economies. Yeah, we are going to most definitely have that. And, you know, COVID-19 is forcing the hands. We're going to see uh, crumbling of a lot of the educational system because because people are going to stop paying exorbitant dollars for having their teachers teach kids over Zoom. It's just not going to work. And so people will take matters into their own hands. But I bet you, and you know, I have a venture fund, education isn't its focus, but I've got two universities and Singularity University has shifted completely to a digitized platform. We've seen Coach do that as well. International Space University is doing that. And so we're going to see sort of educational content provisioned on demand. Like, I need to learn about this. And what's been going on as well is programs like Coursera and others giving micro degrees. Like, I need to learn a particular programming language or I need to learn a particular skill, whatever it is, and being able to go and take that program Mm -hmm. and learn it and not care that you don't have a diploma from a particular university, just that you know the skill. Mm -hmm. I remember Elon Musk tweeted he was running a hackathon for Tesla, for his autonomous driving capability of the company. And he said, listen, I don't care where you went to school. I don't care if you went to school. I don't care if you have a high school degree. If you are able to, you know, excel in this hackathon, I'll hire you. Right. So it's skills now, mm. not degrees yeah. that are going to matter. Yeah. The final thing here is AI. AI is going to become the leveling field of education where an AI understands your child's favorite color, sports mm. star, movie star, 
language skills and is able to take a child from where they are to where they want to go and do it in a, such a personalized fashion that it's exceptional. Okay. So, Peter, I'm going to take you back to 1970. You're nine years old, the same age as your two sons. Yeah. But you're in the year 2020, you know, at nine years old. And how you went about self-educating yourself back, how would you do it today? Two or three things that you would do right off the bat. The first thing, and this is for any parent as well, thinking about this, is my parents wanted to become a doctor. And I wanted to become an astronaut. Yeah. And it was space and Apollo and Star Trek that caught my attention and had me dreaming. Medicine was nice and I was a good boy. So I told my parents I'd become a doctor, but it was space that I wanted to do. And so the most important thing for my kids in any parent-child relationship is helping your child explore a lot and then supporting whatever their dreams are, independent of what it is. Yeah. Right. My kid wants to become a YouTuber. Awesome. The kid wants to become a video game designer. Awesome. They might change or it might still be the case. I think the future is going to be much more in the VR, AR, AI world. So I think the ability to self-educate now by virtue of the digital world is extraordinary. But the most important thing isn't the tool set for education. It's connecting with a passion, Mm -hmm. connecting with a true purpose in life. You know, Mark Twain had a very famous saying. He said, there are two important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you found out why. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a thought that I've had about this, that, you know, there's a reluctance to open the schools again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, here's my theory on this. If the kids were just demanding that the schools be opened again, the schools would be open. Okay. And what I mean by that is we know that consumer spending is driven by children. You know, a lot of consumer spending is driven by children. Sure. What I don't see is lots of kids protesting that the schools are closed. Okay. (laughs) Here's my theory about that. They get up in the morning and they're on their whatever the screen is. And this is interesting. This is interesting. interesting. So they got a slice of time from about six o'clock to let's say 830. And then they go in, they might as well take a sedative because they sit there because they're being warehoused from around 8.30 until (laughs) 3.30 in the afternoon. And then they get out, they get to go back. Their education actually happens in what they do before they go to school and what they do after they go to school. So they're saying, geez, you know, it's pretty cool, you know. You know, the parents are saying, well, I'm really worried about them not going to school. And I says, look at it from the bright side, just Think about who hasn't been talking to them for the last five months. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And I'm saying there's great teachers, and it's not about the teachers, but they're as much a prisoner of a system as the students. Yes, the teachers are, you know, teaching to the test and teaching what you have to learn. And honestly, that is so screwed up. You know, I remember in like seventh or eighth grade, learning algebra and learning multivariable equations. And, you know, the last time I actually went and figured out, you know, sine and cosine and tangents and so forth, it's got to be 40 years. Yep. But the stuff I should be learning in school, like what is my passion and how to make a compelling 
argument and how to get up there and be a good leader and how to be empathic. Those weren't the curriculum. Compound interest. <laughs> yes. And being an entrepreneur and coming up yeah. with ideas and how to lead yeah. all of those things. I mean, like, you know, okay. Seventh grade was decent because I learned typing. Yep. I remember that class. The rest of the stuff, I mean, honestly. So we're not teaching kids the most valuable lessons today. Yeah. We're teaching memorization when pretty soon I'm just going to speak. What is that chemical equation again? And my AI will answer and display it in front of me. Oh, yeah, that's it. I remember my dad was really worried when I asked for a calculator because he was like, well, you're not going to memorize the multiplication tables and so forth. And there's some value in that. Mm -hmm. But when I finally got a TI-59 calculator, I remember that from Texas Instruments, I learned how to program on it, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I do think that programming is a skill set that all kids should be learning at one shape or form because it's a window into the future. But... The reality is the world is going to be driven by our collaboration with technology, how we utilize AI and robotics mm -hmm. in our world. Asking great questions is one of the most important things that I think people need to learn how to do, whether they're CEOs or nine-year-olds. Yeah. yeah, so what we teach and how we teach can't remain the same, just like we're not teaching kids today how to sow corn and milk cows yeah, like they were maybe when you were a kid. Yeah, well, you know, it's really interesting if you look at the public school system anyway, it was patterned on the German school system because mm -hmm. Germany actually industrialized much faster than the United States did. There was kind of like the snob appeal of wealthy entrepreneurs sending their kids off to Germany to be educated at German universities. Plus, the other thing is that the Germans... I don't know if you know this, but if you look at the actual ancestry of Americans, ancestries have more German than any other ethnic group. It's German because there was this huge migration of people from the agricultural sector in Germany to the United States. And, you know, a lot of it ended up in the Midwest and they brought their school systems along with them. So the really interesting thing about it is that Germany was a very bureaucratic society. Mm. And so much of the education, so much of the training was either for bureaucratic factories or for bureaucratic white collar work. And that really stuck with America. America kind of got caught up with this. And then the credentialism of the 1960s and 1970s, they were going to use SATs and the other tests corporations weren't going to make choices because they got hit by a big lawsuit in the mid-60s, Duke Power lawsuits, a Supreme Court justice, where a black employee felt that he was tested on Wunderlicht, actually. They tested everybody on Wunderlicht, and he sued against Wunderlicht and against Duke Power and won at the Supreme Court. And the Fortune 500 corporations in the United States said, we're not doing any of the testing. We're not doing any of the screening. We're going to let the universities do it. And we'll see a college degree as the screening. You know, That's not a skill-based requirement. That's a credential-based requirement. Interesting. A convenient filtration system. We talked a lot about elementary. We haven't talked about secondary or graduate. I mean, the idea that you go to school for four years between age 18 and 22 to get a degree and then that's your education for the rest of your life is a pathetic idea. 
of course, what we really need is continuous education, right? So when people go to yeah. coach yeah. four times a year, or when people join Abundance 360 and they're with me on my monthly webinars or with us for three days in January, that's continuous education. You know, I've been floating the idea that Harvard, MIT, Stanford, all the best schools in the world should not be recruiting students for college or graduate school. They should be recruiting students for life. When I'm admitted to MIT, I should be a lifelong program where I am expecting to be a student for my entire lifetime. That, I think, would be a much better business model for them. So if you're listening, guys, yeah. you should consider that. Yeah. Peter, I want to ask you a yeah. question because I've reflected. Sure. And I said, if I go back a year from my, let's say, my 75th year, I said, I've learned more in my 75th year than I ever learned in my sixth year you know, like my childhood years. I learned more sure. today than I ever did then. Of course. I believe that. Yeah. And I bet it's totally true for you too. Oh yeah. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly educating. I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly searching. Yeah. It's like my, my job is to learn and then simplify and disseminate to my abundance members as it is for your coach members. Yep. Well, what are we going to say about this? Peter, as a simplification, since we're both simplifiers, what would we say? I think it's the same thing that the school system has to come to the individual, just like previously when we talked about the healthcare system, the hospital has to come to the individual. I think it's the 60s. We're going to dematerialize schools, demonetize, democratize them, and make them much better. I think AI is going to be the means by which we do this. You know, we're still going to read, we're still going to watch YouTube, but we're experiential animals. We learn so much more when we are out feeling it, seeing it, touching it, hearing it. And I think, you know, VR is going to enable us to do that in an extraordinary way. I talk about, you know, if you want to learn about Plato, you'll put on your VR headset, you'll be in a super high resolution version of ancient Greece. Some guy in a toga on a piece of marble over there is going to walk you around and tell you about what he ate and what he did and where he went and what he talked about, introduce you to his friends. And then you'll learn about ancient Greece in a way like never before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think also hanging around smart people who are learning is probably the greatest education. I think that's 100% true. You know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So educate yourself by finding smarter people than you. That's why I hang out with you, Dan, and spend time. So I'm lucky I get to hang out with my Singularity University faculty and my XPRIZE teams and my companies that I've co-founded. And I gather a community I call them my capitalist compound yeah. and spend time with them. And I love it. Yeah. Okay. This is really exciting. And you are now going on a trip. And maybe you can just preview the trip. Well, I'm in the midst of the San Juan Islands and uh, with my capitalist compound, and we're on a grand adventure. So, but here in a few it. weeks, in a month, you'll be going on. Oh, that trip. Oh, yeah, trip. yeah. So, every year I take a group of my Abundance 360 members on a platinum trip. I take about 20 of them. Last three years, we've been going to China. This year, we are going on five-day trip in San Francisco and San Diego, doing a deep dive into longevity. We're going to be meeting about 35 top scientists, entrepreneurs, inventors, top 2025 companies, top labs, 
who are focused on longevity and also focused on immunity and antivirals and vaccines and therapeutics and such. These are the companies, the scientists who are on the cutting edge in the Bay Area in San Francisco and in San Diego. So we're doing that in mid-August and again in mid-September. Next year, we're going to do it in Boston and D.C., sort of West Coast this year, East Coast next year. And, you know, I'll come back and we'll report on it together. Yeah, that's great. Peter, it's been a great pleasure again. You know, I tell my clients, one of my favorite games was Monopoly, and it wasn't whether I won or lost. I liked the end of the game because all the pieces went in the box. And I said, we're in the midst of the in-between a million Monopoly games that have ended and new Monopoly games, except there's going to be new pieces, new boards, new rules for all the new boards. And I said, very exciting time to be an entrepreneur. It is the most exciting time to be an entrepreneur in whatever you're passionate about. There are so many problems out there that need solving, and that's what an entrepreneur does, right? Find a great problem, a juicy problem, and you solve it. (laughs) So, Dan, I give you my warmest regards for health and fun and excitement, and thank you for all that you do, and excited to be your partner. Thank you, Peter. Take care, pal.